scripture reading for this evening from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Word of the Lord. Ash Wednesday and really the whole season of Lent is really about identity and identification. It's about celebrating our identity in Christ and identifying with his death for us as the source of our salvation. For instance, in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That means that we find our primary sense of identity and belonging not in our own works or abilities, not in good grades or work promotions, not in the size of our house or how fast our car, not in whether other people receive us or reject us, but in what God has done for us in Christ, and how that connects us with him. We want to attach or connect ourselves with Jesus and his death and resurrection, rooting our identity in him if we are to live our lives in light of our salvation. We learn to lay lay down our lives, our plans, our agendas, hopes, and dreams to become his disciples, and in the process, 
we find that God has greater plans and purposes for us to make a kingdom difference in this world. Greater plans and purposes than we ever could have created or made for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying this is an easy process. It wasn't easy for Jesus in dying for us, and it isn't easy for us in dying to ourselves in order to find our life in him. But the longer we live, the more we realize that God wants to live in us through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And that when we allow him to fill us and abide in us, we find ourselves truly alive. When we live our earthly lives by faith in God, who loved us and gave himself for us, we can find ourselves joyfully living out our lives on purpose for him. Lent is about leaning into the life God has for us and letting go of other attachments, other ways we seek to find a sense of identity or belonging. Too often those other attachments or connections can confuse us or can take us off course from our primary identification with Christ. And we can easily become lost in the process as a result. So what can we learn from Hebrews about this? It presents two primary pathways uh, to reaching God. The one, the old covenant, presented a way of worship and patterns and regulations and rhythms in order to kind of reach up to God. The new covenant created a way of celebrating how God had come down and reached out to us in Christ. There were similarities, but there were also differences. The similarity we can find is that God has always been about identifying with us. He is a covenant-making God. He commits himself relationally to his people. He made a covenant with Adam and Eve, with Noah, Abraham, and with the Israelites in rescuing them from Egypt and giving them his commands to live by through Moses. Unfortunately, humanity will never live up to their side of that covenant. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, we're told in Romans 3.23. God made covenants, an old covenant in the Old Testament. He also created set and set up spaces and places to meet with him. We learn in this passage about the tabernacle, the, the tent of meeting where God would meet with Moses face to face throughout the Israelites' desert wandering. We also find that once the Jewish people established themselves and had their capital in Jerusalem, they built a temple with the most holy place as the focus of attention and worship. But as we now see, Jesus will enter an even greater sanctuary than any place on earth. He entered the sanctuary of heaven at his resurrection and ascension as a once and for all sacrifice for our sins. God makes covenants. He creates spaces and places to meet with us. God also has always been about creating a way that we can experience forgiveness through blood. In the Old Testament, God's established a sacrificial system where the blood of animals was sacrificed as a source of atonement, covering over and freeing us from our sin. This was first established at the Passover when the Israelites were asked to sacrifice the blood of a lamb and place it on the doorposts and frames of their homes so that God's judgment would pass over them. The sacrificial system continued in both the tabernacle and the temple that follows as a means 
of experiencing the forgiveness of sins. God continually gives a way to find forgiveness, but he doesn't want that ultimately to be through repeated acts of sacrifice, and so he sent his son as a once and for all sacrifice for us. God makes covenants. He creates spaces and places to meet with us. He shed blood in order to forgive us. And he ultimately provides places and spaces for offerings. In both covenants, there are sacrifices for sin offered to God. Unfortunately, in the old covenant, these were external acts or sacrifices. They were not able to cleanse the conscience of the worshipers. The external offering did not address the internal struggle with guilt and shame when we know that we have done something wrong. We need a sacrifice to be offered on our behalf that can address our internal and ongoing need for forgiveness and freedom. The author tells us that God has made such a sacrifice in Christ bringing people into the presence of God through having sacrificed himself in the greatest holy of holies, the eternal heavenly temple or tabernacle. Christ doesn't come and just and sacrifice something else. He actually comes and sacrifices his very own self. God does in Christ what we could not do ourselves. Christ provides a way into the most holy place, into the very presence of God. Christ was able to enter the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. And that is to say, not part of this creation. He entered into the ultimate sanctuary of heaven. He did this. He entered into that sanctuary by means not of blood, the blood of goats and cows, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood. Christ sacrificed himself, did that once and for all. It does not achieve a limited effect, but an eternal redemption for all time. The good news of Jesus' high priestly ministry, his offering to God, was that it was placed on the altar of heaven once and for all. Not, and not only his life, but astonishingly our life. Because in taking up our humanity... He offered himself for us back to God, an offering that is truly pleasing to God. Jesus gathered up our need for and hunger for approval, and he lived a life truly pleasing to God. He took our restlessness and brought us to the place of Sabbath rest. He carried the human condition and placed it as an offering to God, not the ravaged, broken humanity of our own lives, but a humanity that is healed by his own faithfulness. Humanity as God intended at creation, free, joyful, and one with itself, others, and God. This provides a clear word to any of us when we are in places of despondency or despair. We may feel crushed or dejected, bewildered or broken, but our eternal salvation has never depended on our vacillating moods or our changing circumstances. Christ has entered the heavenly sanctuary once and for all. He offered his own blood for us. We are now ever remembered at the throne of God, and that is our confidence. 
Our faith is grounded not in what we are or what we have done, but ever and always in what in who he is. God's perfect son offered for us and what he has done in that perfect eternal sacrifice. What that has provided for us is a word called redemption. This is the process of setting free by the payment of a ransom price, in this case, by the death of Jesus. By Christ's death, obtaining eternal redemption, we have this picture referring originally to setting free of a prisoner of war or releasing somebody from a debt. Ultimately, it became about getting somebody out of prison or even freeing them from the sentence of death. The basic idea is paying the price of another person to secure their freedom. And Christ has paid the ultimate price for us and for our sin to give us eternal redemption, eternal freedom. Verse 14 says it this way, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleansing our consciousness from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? He was the one who offered the sacrifice and the sacrifice itself. His unblemished sacrifice cleanses our conscience and removes sin stain from the very core of our being. And he did that for all time. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous to the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Through Christ's sacrifice, he becomes the way. The way is paved to heaven. The way that was previously barred because of our sin has now been made clear through what Christ has done. So you can thank God. Thank God that your relationship to him is not based on your own work, but on Christ's once and for all work. You can reflect on whether you are carrying around any guilt and trying to atone for it by your own works. If so, confess it to God and let him cleanse you in your conscience through Christ's blood. You can meditate on the fact that Christ's blood has cleansed you once and for all from acts that lead to death so that you may serve the living God. How can you serve God out of gratitude for his cleansing this week? How can your life be an offering of thanksgiving to God for cleansing you and setting you free from sin? Is it settled in your mind that you are forgiven? Or are you living with a nagging sense of guilt or shame that you continue to ruminate on in your mind? If so, meditate on the forgiveness brought about by Christ's death and receive it tonight. Let the imposition of ashes be a sign and seal of your identification with him, of your living your life then for him. Thank God for illustrating Jesus' heavenly work with the earthly tabernacle system. Thank him even more that Jesus has ushered in the new order, the new covenant, in which your consciousness can be cleaned and cleared of guilt if you accept the forgiveness offered to you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 
So may tonight be a celebration of the new life we have in Christ. And so may the season of Lent be a leaning into that new and better life that Christ has offered you through his once and for all sacrifice for your sins. Amen? Tonight we have an opportunity to respond to the invitation of the gospel and to identify ourselves with Christ. As we prepare to do so, I do want to tell a brief story. Last week I was traveling to Orlando, Florida, and as some of you know, I arrived in Orlando and my bags were totally lost. The airline had sent, uh, sent them to Denver where my connecting flight was and my bag had stayed there. It was a whole nother 24 to 36 hours before I got my clothes or any of my stuff with me in Orlando. In the meantime, what I was planning to do was go see a college basketball game. My favorite team, the University of Virginia, was playing a game against the University of Miami. And in my bag was all my gear. I mean, I was going to be blinged out with Virginia. Hats, shirts, the whole nine yards. As a result of my bag getting stuck in Denver, I didn't have any of that. I sat down at the basketball game in plain clothes that I had been wearing for about 36 hours. And pretty soon, you know, University of Miami fans were asking me about the game and how I was excited to, you know, see the game. And pretty soon, as Virginia started doing well, they realized I wasn't rooting for Miami. (laughs) I was rooting for Virginia. But there wasn't anything externally that showed them that. It was only as I started cheering and getting excited when my team was doing well. Conversely, as followers of Jesus, we want to wear our colors, so to speak, reflect our identification with him. When you have the ashes imposed upon you, placed on your forehead in the sign of a cross, it's that sign and seal that I'm with Jesus. I'm rooting for him. I'm celebrating him. I'm living my life for him. I am with him. So as we enter into this time of response, Pastor Greg and I will be up front and we'll place the ashes on your forehead And identify the fact that we all came from dust and ultimately will return to dust. But in and through Christ, we will ultimately know new life. The station over here is a Lexio Divina station, a divine reading. And there you'll find prompts to read one passage of scripture, Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, may he deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we'll invite you to read that scripture four times in a meditative way, allowing it to sink into your mind and your heart. That is the station to really consider what God is calling you to leave behind or let go of for Lent, where God is calling you to deny yourself. But one misnomer of Lent is that it's just about what we're not going to do. And many think, oh man, what a boring tradition. It's just about not eating sugar, or not doing this, or not doing that. And that may be part of it. But in Christianity, different from many other religions, we're not just here to empty ourselves. We're here to empty ourselves so that Christ can fill us, sustain us, and feed us. So the station back here is about bread for the journey. What does God wanna, how does God want to fill you and sustain you for the journey ahead during Lent? We, uh, I may encourage you to do the imposition of ashes, the Lectio Divina, and then head over to that station. That would be the natural flow. 
But if the crowd is such that you want to do one of the other stations first, you are welcome to do so. As we enter into this time of response, let me lead us in prayer. God, we thank you for your gracious gift, your gift of life, your gift of Christ's sacrifice. I'm mindful of Matthew eleven twenty nine to 30, where it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God, we come before you tonight needing rest for our souls, needing the life that only you can give. So may we receive that through your presence and may we celebrate that through identifying ourselves with you by letting go of what we need to let go of and by allowing you to fill us and sustain us with your goodness. Lord God, we pray that you would receive us as we respond back to you.
surrender.